I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page, and welcome to uh, the Christmas Chronicles, part two. We talked about Mary. Now we're going to talk about another subject today. We're going to talk about the Magi. We're skipping over the shepherds. That'll come tomorrow. Uh, but the topic of the Magi has been fascinating to me, and I have so enjoyed researching this subject, and I'm going to share that with you today. This podcast might go a little bit long, but I declare it will be worth it to you. So, welcome. Here's my coffee. And I am your Caffeine Imbued host, and in the beginning, coffee. And lo, it was very good. All right. Today, like I said, we're going to be looking at the Magi. And this absolutely gives me goosebumps. Let's start off by reading the passage of Scripture that uh, deals with it. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is he? Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where Messiah was to be born. Oh, in Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. There you go. That's the opening. Now, Packed within these few sentences is so much information behind the scenes. Oh my gosh, I get so excited. So let's get started. In almost every church pageant I've ever seen, it shows the Magi showing up, you know, the Mary and Joseph come into Bethlehem and no room at the inn. She's in a barn, gives birth to a baby. Shepherds come in and worship, go away. And then the Magi show up, worship, give gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and go away. That's not exactly how it went. With that in mind, there are a couple of questions that come to mind here. First of all, who are the Magi? How did they know where and when Jesus would be born? And what was it about the Magi that disturbed King David, King Herod so much? Hmm. Inquiring minds want to know. Let's start with the first question. Who are the Magi? Well, the cast, C-A-S-T-E, of Magi can be traced back in scriptures to Babylon. 
during and after the exile. In Babylon, they were first known as, well, the wise men. This included magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. It's from the book of Daniel. Now, there's an article from the Counselor magazine in December 1990, and it gives us some really interesting information about uh, these wise men. Let's take a look at it. According to Flavius Josephus, a Jewish historian of the first century, Seth, the son of Adam, invented that particular sort of wisdom which is concerned with the heavenly bodies and their order. Philo, or Philo, if you will, of Alexandria, a Jewish philosopher in the first century, uh, living around the time of Jesus, wrote favorably about an Eastern school of Magi. In his writing, called Every Good Man is Free, he placed them among the Persians. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians, became a believer in the Hebrew God. We see that in Daniel chapter 4. Before this, he had appointed Daniel as chief minister over all of Babylonian Babylon's sages, their wise men. This meant that Daniel, the Jewish prophet, had leadership over those who would later be termed the Magi. It's possible and highly probable that Daniel taught Hebrew scriptures and messianic prophecies to the other sages, especially to those who were Jewish. Now, the job of these Magi, these wise men, were to master the various sciences and philosophies and religions of which the Jewish religion would be one. So Daniel taught Hebrew scriptures, would have taught Hebrew scriptures and messianic prophecies. Now, a Jewish tradition even claims that Daniel founded an order of Magi and instructed them to watch for the Messiah through the generations. This is very likely because of what we see in the knowledge and response of the Magi that appear at the time of Christ. They're very deliberate. They know that there's a king here somewhere and they're looking for him. And they knew when to look. Kind of cool, isn't it? Now, God gave the stars and the constellations as signs and systems of marking time. Okay, well, that makes sense. And then through inspiration, the ancient patriarchs also used them to communicate knowledge revealed to them. They used them like hieroglyphics, if you will, heavenly hieroglyphics. The stars are like a dot matrix in the sky by which symbols or pictures are formed and given meaning or attached to pieces of a story in order to tell the story of God's revelations. As given to the first prophets, Adam, Seth, Enoch, all looking forward to the time of a coming deliverer. One application of this anthropocentric principle, which basically is a seemingly human-centered principle, discovered by science that the universe is exceedingly fine-tuned, almost beyond human comprehension, for life and intelligent life on this planet to exist. It's this principle is that what God is doing here on earth, he's also displaying to us in the heavens, in the very universe itself. It makes sense, you know, Paul, doesn't Paul say in Romans that the heavens give us all we need to know? Nature gives us all we need to know about God? Doesn't it say in the Psalms, the heavens declare the glory of God? 
what if it was more than just the heavens show us an incredibly complex universe proof of an intelligent design that there's an intelligent being that designed all of this what if it's more than that what if it's actually specifically the story of God in the heavens that these ancients understood that we don't what if it tells us a story of evil's defeat and demise this if it's true is proof again that God is the author of the story of redemption and he's using all of creation to proclaim its unfolding drama and when the new creation begins with the birth of Jesus the Messiah once again the heavens were used to declare what God was doing in his prophetic word wow um, I don't know about you I find that fascinating to think that there is a long game that there's actually truth to be discovered in the heavens for which most of us have lost attachment to we we don't understand it that way today astrology is is a bunch of hocus pocus but back then there was a branch of astrology that was more a science a true science than and it was more than just astronomy the positions of the stars in the heavens there was an understanding of what the ancients of the meaning that the ancients assigned to these stars that's kind of amazing thought now it's clear from Daniel uh, 2 that Daniel and his friends we knew them by Shadrach Meshach and Abednego were considered part of this caste C-A-S-T known as the wise men of Babylon who were to be advisors to the king on the on a great breadth of subjects including religion science philosophy politics they were a mixture of various religions and disciplines now, when the Persian Empire, think Darius, conquered the Medes, think Nebuchadnezzar, there was a priestly caste among the Medes, from Darius, from Persia, known as the Magi. And when the Media, when the Medio Persians conquered Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, as recorded in the fifth chapter of Daniel, they brought this Magi caste with them and they absorbed the wise men from Nebuchadnezzar, which would include Daniel and his cohorts. And from this class of men came many of the satraps or leaders that Darius appointed to help rule this diverse kingdom. Daniel was chosen as one of three administrators to which the 120 satraps chosen by this medio Persian king were accountable. It was Darius's plan expressed in verse three of the sixth chapter of Daniel to put Daniel over the whole kingdom which seems to have been done after the whole den of lions thing. By all accounts, Daniel was a very influential and powerful magus. The magi that appear during the birth of Christ are most likely members of a sect of magi that followed the teachings and prophecies and the God of this most famous of the ancient magi, Daniel. Many of the magi were astrologers. Now, what's not commonly known today by Christians today, there were actually two classes of astrology, and I've hinted at it before. There's a class of astrology that viewed the heavens as a sort of a hieroglyphic. The constellations and the stars revealing the redemption story of Jehovah, of Yahweh. This class of astrology seems to have fallen to the wayside now, but would have been very prevalent in the days of Daniel and even in the days of first century Israel. 
there's a second class of astrology, and it's a corruption of the first and original class. It's what we're familiar with today. You know, we're, oh, I'm born in April, so I'm a Taurus. And I, I look at my, uh, I, uh, uh, the newspaper today says, today, Taurus, you need to be aware of the fact that you're going to meet somebody tall, dark, and handsome who will change your life forever. That kind of astrology. Uh, that's kind of what we see today. And that's what kind of grew out of this nonsense. It, it, this These corruptions first began after Nimrod and they just distorted this other form of astrology. It's very likely that many of the Magi were Jewish. As many of the Jews did not return from the exile and they stayed on in Babylon. And we know from scripture that the greatest of all the Magi, Daniel, who came to the office of administrator of the whole kingdom of Medes and Persians, he stayed behind. Maybe he was too old. Uh, maybe he was in such a place of influence and power that he deemed it better that he stayed rather than go back to rebuild Jerusalem. Uh, what I believe he was probably pretty getting along in years and that journey would have been too much for him. We know also that there were Jews who were selected for the cast of wise men and later to be called the Magi. For their names again, there was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel, even before being elevated by Darius, the new king, he was elevated by King Nebuchadnezzar to be ruler. So Daniel lived in the capital where the king resided, and his three friends were made administrators under Daniel of the same promise. Daniel himself didn't return to the exile, as I mentioned. Uh, and it's very reasonable that many of those within the caste of the Magi who were Jewish did not return because they were in a place of great influence and they could accomplish a lot of good for their people by staying in Babylon. So they chose very probably very probable to remain part of the diaspora, the scattered people, which continued until the time of Christ. And even now into our day, as many Jewish people continue to live as Jews outside of Israel in many other countries of the world. Now, that should be a point of encouragement to us. God has a remnant. And this remnant doesn't have to be tied down to a location. I do believe that Israel is God's chosen people. And I do believe that the fact that there are Jews living in Israel are proof of God's being faithful to his word. I believe that Israel is a favored nation. I believe that Israel is fill, filled with God's promised people, but God's promised people aren't necessarily have to be living in Israel. God's people, Daniel, and his fellow Jewish Magi didn't go back to Israel. They stayed in Babylon. And we're gonna see proof of God's long game. Stay tuned. Now we are told in scripture that the heavens will be used to communicate once again at the second coming of Messiah. We hear about the star of Bethlehem. 
Jesus tells us in Luke 21, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. At the end of the days, there are gonna be signs in the heavens. At the beginning of the days, there were signs in the heavens. There was a sign in the heavens when Messiah was born. It's reasonable to conclude that the Magi who came looking for Jesus, the Messiah, were very much from this Eastern school of uh, of thought that followed the true meaning of the stars and the uncorrupted pre-flood understanding of the constellations. The school is most likely the school of Magi that was founded and first administered by Daniel himself. Therefore, it's likely that many of the Magi of the school were Jewish. Maybe not all, but a chunk of them probably were. These would have been followers of the true God of Jews, of the Jews, as Daniel allowed nobody else around him. They would have been familiar with and possessed in-depth knowledge of the writings of the prophet Daniel, which would have been their revered, found, revered founder and prophet. Now, this is amazing to me. First of all, I believe that the wise men, the Magi, when they came, it says they worshiped God. They worshiped Jesus. They were knowledgeable of the scriptures. They acted upon the scriptures. They're acting like people who are actual followers of Jehovah, of Yahweh. But they weren't of Israel. Not anymore. Uh, they stayed behind in the, Mersin, in the Persian Empire. God has a chosen people. And sometimes they don't look like we think they ought to. As a thought there. I'm sure we could explore that later. God still has his chosen people outside of Israel, influencing the world, just as Daniel and his compatriots did. They preserved the words of God in Daniel's prophetic book, and when called upon to act, they acted upon it. Daniel had given them a timetable by which they would know when Messiah would appear. So, that brings us to the next question. How did they know where, really, and when Jesus would be born? Well, we need to realize, again, two important sources of information that would have been important to these magi from this Eastern school. First, they would have followed the insights given them in the prophecies of Daniel concerning the timing of Messiah's birth and death. The most important of these is the ninth chapter of Daniel where the angel Gabriel gives Daniel a cryptic calendar organized according to a sacred system of heptads, you know, seven-year cycles, and by interpreting these words from the angel Gabriel to Daniel, they are able to calculate exactly when Messiah would be cut off. All right, there's, not, from that point, all they have to do is some basic math. And it's going to be like 400 some odd years. can't remember the exact amount, to be honest. I should know that. But... It's in this context that God sends Gabriel to reveal to Daniel the calendar of heptads and give him an understanding of the and of their organization how they will unfold in the future beyond Daniel. These men, these magi were, were just totally ahead of even the best theologians of Jerusalem. They had a calendar that told them very close approximation of when Messiah would be killed. And what they would do, they these wise men, all they have to do is do some back counting 
and say, you know, let's just say that Messiah, they knew that in order to become a priest in Israel, you had to be 30 years old. So let's say Messiah is going to be killed when he's 30. Let's go back 30 years. And they would come up to the pretty close to the time of when Jesus would be born. That gave them the when. They knew kind of when he would be born. So when it got when the generation of Magi that were alive during this period of time, they set out on a journey to find this Messiah. <sighs> you know, many people point to Balaam's prophecy when he says, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. Now we see symbolic language all over that, right? What if the star was actual a physical star? What if there's an actual star that comes out of Jacob? Some star that leads them to the country of Jacob, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A star that would guide them to the general locale of where Messiah would be born. What if it's more literal than we think? While they were no doubt aware of this prophecy by itself, even with its appearance of a star and its placement in the constellations, it's hardly enough, though, to cause them to set out on such a long and dangerous journey. It wasn't like a star suddenly showed up and these magi go, oh, wait, we gotta go. No. It was that sign in the heavens coupled with their understanding of the calendar given to them by Daniel. This is about the time we need to, that Messiah is going to be born. Let's go look for him. And there was obviously a sign in heaven that they recognized because that was their discipline. They recognized a sign in heaven and it guided them to Israel. Now, these Magi further demonstrate their great learning and knowledge of Messiah and his mission by the gifts that they brought. <sighs> gifts were always brought to a king or an important official. They were chosen to demonstrate the knowledge and estimation of the givers concerning their host. Since the Magi spent nearly a year finding this young king, because they arrived around nine to ten months, maybe even a year or two after the birth of Jesus, you can be sure that such devotion had thought carefully in their devotion about the meaning of the gifts they were bringing. Gold was a common gift to give to a king, and by this they declared their understanding of his royal lineage, both earthly and heavenly. Incense was offered only to a god. Pagan kings, declaring themselves gods, often demanded incense from their subjects. So, Incense would be offered to Jesus because he was God. By this act, they declared their understanding that he was indeed Emmanuel or God with us. By bringing myrrh, the bitter herb of death and burial, they revealed their understanding of Daniel's prophecy that the anointed one would be cut off or put to death. They knew he was the sacrifice for the sins of mankind, king, God, sacrifice, all in one. This kind of knowledge is not held by someone who doesn't believe in God. These were God followers. The Magi were just not some esoteric group of smart guys who saw something special in heaven and stumbled over to Bethlehem to 
throw some gifts at the feet of this poor carpenter and his wife and this new baby boy. No, there's something very deliberate in their actions. These men stand out as a sharp rebuke to the ignorance of their day. All could have known and responded as they. The, The Jewish theologians, they had equal access to Daniel's prophecies, but they missed it. They didn't see it. This magi, this section of magi within the Persian Empire, they were focused like a laser on what Daniel taught because Daniel had told them, calculate the years and this is when Messiah is going to be cut off and they'd been looking for it for generations, four or five generations. Mm. So the magi would have known that from the time of the rebuilding of Jerusalem to the time that the anointed one the rulers killed will be a fixed amount of years. And so it makes sense that they could just backtrack from that time of death and maybe they were thinking in terms of they knew that you had to be 30 years old to become a priest in Israel. So maybe they just counted back 30 years from the time he's supposed to die to get the general idea of when Jesus would actually be born. That would have sent them on their journey to find the king of the Jews. And let's just say that these three wise men kind of a little bit of a clue about when he would be born. So they're going to go looking for him, but they don't know where he is specifically just yet. They don't know about Bethlehem. They just went back to where it all began in the terms of what they knew from Daniel, Jerusalem. The Magi, therefore, understood the general timing of Messiah's birth and the sign that will lead them to a place where he would be born They just had to calculate the date of his death, count backwards, get a general understanding of when his birth might be. And then the Magi would have gone Jerusalem to Jerusalem. That makes sense. That's the capital city of Israel. They would need to ask about the specifics as to exactly where this new king of the Jews would be. Jerusalem being the capital city makes it the logical place to go. All right, that brings us to the last question. Why was Herod upset? by the appearance of the Magi. Well, let's back up a second. The title Magi is from the old Persian word, I'm probably mispronouncing it, Magev. Which refers to a very wise hereditary priestly tribe of people who come from the Medes. The term also is translated in a couple other words, but from which we get the word magistrate. The Magi were so powerful in their culture that historians like Herodotus tell us that no person was ever able to become king in Persia except under two conditions. He had to master the scientific and religious disciplines of the Magi and he had to be approved of and crowned by the Magi. In fact, they controlled who would be king within the Mesopotamian region. They were sometimes referred to as kingmakers. Having through the years risen to a place of prominence in the kingdoms of Babylon, Media, and Persia, they served as advisors to the rulers, and so the term became synonymous in many ways with being a wise man. So let's do some more digging into this background. Politically speaking, at this time in history, Rome was strategically concerned with the Eastern Empire of Parthia. Think Persia, Media, uh, Media Persian, Babylon. Rome had stretched its tentacles out to rule the world, but 
They never really felt secure about the Parthian Empire because they never really conquered them. Israel, who was situated between these two powers, actually became a battleground between them. 63, 55, 40 BC, Rome's anxiety over the Eastern Empire was accurately reflected in Herod's response to the arrival of the Magi in Matthew 2 to 3. When Herod the king heard that these things, that the Magi asked, he was troubled. When he heard that Magi, the Oriental Parthian kingmakers, had arrived in Jerusalem, he became justifiably politically insecure. Now, why would he be insecure? Well, you know, that word means almost literally shaking in fear. He was very concerned. See, at the time of Christ in the Eastern Empire, there was a ruling body who would be similar in function to the United States Senate. It was totally composed of magi who had the right of absolute choice for the selection of a king. We talked about this. They were called kingmakers. I knew they were wise men. But now this is an actual political entity at this point in history. Why would Jerusalem be disturbed when these magi, Persian wise men, Persian politicians show up? (laughs) It's obvious that they're just not three guys on three camels. They represent a ruling priestly class of a culture that Rome is in conflict with and never conquered. They represent a powerful class in the Eastern Empire of Parthia, and they would be traveling in full force with all of their oriental pomp, riding Persian steeds, probably horses rather than camels, and according to John MacArthur, they would have accompanying them a contingent of Persian cavalrymen as their escort and protection. So, picture this. A military contingent from the Parthian nation rides into Jerusalem and they show up and these kingmakers ask to Herod, who's king of the Jews, they ask him, where's the king of the Jews? Since these kingmakers came asking for another king other than Herod, you can see Herod is very nervous. And this explains why Herod, the self-absorbed ruler of Israel, of the Jews, would be disturbed. A military contingent with the Magi from an empire that Romans had conflict with in the past shows up asking questions about another king. So he calls together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law and he asks, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they told him, Bethlehem, Judea. And that was the last piece of information that the Magi needed. So off they go to Bethlehem. Now by this time they had a general idea of when Jesus was going to be born, but of course they didn't arrive at the time of his birth. That's why we find out in the story later that Herod discovered by asking them questions exactly when they started their search for Messiah, for the King of the Jews. That's why he decided to send his soldiers to kill all the children in Bethlehem that were two years old and younger, hoping to kill this future King of the Jews and remove his competition. So that kind of puts a different spin on the whole thing with the Magi, doesn't it? First of all, they represent a class of people from an enemy of Rome that were known to be kingmakers. I don't think they were there to make Jesus a king. They were going to come and worship the one that their predecessor, Daniel, had told them about all those centuries before. Matthew says they worshiped him. These were God followers. 
They recognized who Messiah was. They worshiped him and they gave his parents gold, frankincense, and myrrh, very expensive spices and gold. And they honored this one who would be the true king of the Jews, Messiah, the one that Daniel had prophesied about. And when the wise men got there, Joseph and Mary were probably living in a house. These magi may or may not have been of Hebrew descent. Many Jews did not return to Israel when they were allowed to return from the Babylonian captivity. Many, like Daniel, stayed behind in Babylon. Daniel had given them the math they needed to calculate when Messiah, king of the Jews, would be born. They studied what Daniel wrote, and they did the math. They did the work. And at the appointed time, they traveled to Jerusalem. Then, of course, they give frankincense, gold and myrrh to Mary and Joseph, which would certainly help to support Mary and Joseph once they went on the run to escape Herod, to Egypt, and then back. Do you remember the timeline of the nativity? Mary has a visitation with Gabriel. She goes to see Elizabeth. She comes home three to six months pregnant from Elizabeth. Joseph takes her as his wife, even though she's pregnant with a child other than his own, and he takes, to Beth- takes her to Bethlehem with himself. And we talked about how the shame that her world would heap upon her, Joseph, and Jesus would dominate their life to the extent that they could not return to Joseph's home immediately. As a result, they were poor. They couldn't stay at any inn in Bethlehem. Nobody's going to give them help. They stay in a stable, and apparently they find a little house to live in for a time, and then the wise men bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then they have to flee to Egypt to get away from Herod because Herod was getting ready to absolutely come down in Bethlehem like a ton of bricks. So the gifts they gave probably supported that family during the next four or five years until they could come back home to Nazareth. (laughs) This puts a whole spin, different spin on the Magi. The Magi that visited Jesus and Joseph and Mary, I believe, were descendants of a class of Magi that were introduced to the Holy Scriptures by Daniel, trained to count forward to the time when Messiah would show up and then go pay him homage. These magi are proof of God's long game. I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly, incredibly exciting and and liberating. God has a long game sometimes that doesn't look anything like we would expect it to look. God kept a remnant of his people in Babylon. And they stayed true to Daniel's prophetic words. And they kept watch. And they waited. And when the time came, they went to go look for Messiah. And yes, there was a special star in the heavens that guided them. I have no doubt about that. But I also believe that they were the only ones trained to look for it. It wasn't like Joseph and Mary got this little... Uh, house and then this this magic huge star supernova thing disappeared over the house it couldn't be something that was so obvious that everybody would see it because then everybody would have come no this was a sign in the heavens that these men were trained to look for doesn't make it any less miraculous it doesn't make it any less amazing what what's amazing is that these descendants of Jews, of a Jewish caste of Magi, if you will, 
stayed faithful to God for over 400 years and were trained to see the sign in the heavens that would take them to where Messiah was. They did the math, they did the work, and they went and found Messiah. And that God would use them when they worshiped him, they brought gifts, and these gifts would support Messiah's family while Messiah and his family were on the run from Herod. Everything fits together. Everything fits together. Sometimes God's plans are not exactly what we think they are. Sometimes God's coloring so far out outside of the lines that we don't even recognize the picture. God has a long game. And his solutions and his miracles and his works sometimes come from a place that is totally unexpected. Like astrologers from Persia. Hmm. Good place to stop. Ah, tomorrow, we're going to talk about the shepherds. I'm Paige. Here's my coffee. Folks, I'm out of here. God bless you. Merry Christmas.